Reach Young Adult Ministry Sermons Online from Tuesday, September 29th, entitled, Obedience Part 2, from Jonah, chapters 1 through 4. Uh, tonight, we're going to be in, uh, we're going to finish a two-part uh, series uh, called Obedience. Tonight, we're going to talk about Jonah. Okay, believe it or not, this story is not all about a man that was swallowed by a fish. There's a whole lot more to Jonah than just that one part, even though that's what we tend to focus on. All right, last week, we talked about Gideon, right? And what happened with Gideon? We had Gideon, God took Gideon where he was in a hole in the ground, unqualified. God dealt with Gideon's disobedience in his life, right? The, the, the Asherah pole in his father's backyard, and he dealt with his doubts, right? All, he gave him the sign of the fleece, and he comforted him as he began to do God's will. And then God accomplished his will through Gideon, and Gideon got to take part in that, right? Gideon got to enjoy the victory that God had for his life. We're going to look at the same theme for Jonah. So who is Jonah? Okay, Jonah is a prophet of God uh, in the Old Testament. He's one of the minor prophets. Uh, the, minor, the difference between the minor and the major prophets is literally how long the book was. Right? So it has nothing to do with the man themselves, the, the, the person themselves, but if the book was shorter, it's considered a minor prophet. So Jonah is a minor prophet in the Old Testament, and Jonah is called by God to go to the city of Nineveh and preach to them that they are going to be under God's judgment. Now, if you were a prophet of God at this time, okay, if, if you were a, an Israelite, you would not have wanted to go to Israel's enemies and preach anything to them. Okay? So Jonah, what we're going to see is, Jonah's not too excited about being used by God in the lives of enemies. All right? Now, Nineveh was a part of the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrians were brutal, brutal to the peoples that they conquered, and they were bitter enemies of the Israelites. All right, but what we're going to see is God's going to take Jonah where he is, he's going to deal with his disobedience, and he's going to accomplish his will in Jonah. All right, so if you'll open with me to Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their evil has come before me. Jonah got up. Pause. All right. We have no discussion up to this point about what qualifies Jonah to be used by God in this circumstance. But here's something that you need to pull out of this. Jonah, although externally qualified to do what God's going to do, Jonah is internally disqualified. Jonah is a prophet. He would have had the first five books of the Bible memorized word for word. He knows who God is. He has been anointed to be a speaker for God. But internally, he has disqualified himself through his attitude and his pride. God chooses Jonah anyway. So let's take a look at the rest of verse 3. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish 
from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it uh, to, go, uh, to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. All right. This is immediate disobedience. All right, now here's, without the full geography lesson, we're not going to pull out maps, Tarshish is the opposite direction from Nineveh. All right, now here's the other thing about this. Not only is this disobedience immediate, you've got to think about it like this. This is not, there's no indication of even a conversation. It's like Jonah had his quiet time that morning, and he was like, God, what do you want me to do? And God was like, go to Nineveh and preach to them. And he was like, mm-hmm, okay. I'll take one ticket the opposite direction. Never even like bothers to have the conversation, okay? He is not about what God's asking him to do. Now, the, the other interesting piece about this is the, the language here is that Jonah doesn't just buy a ticket on a ship headed the other way. The language is that he actually pays for the ship to set sail. He hires the crew. Right? Have you ever been so disobedient you hired the whole crew and the boat to take you away from God? All right? So he's not just getting on board a ship that's already headed the opposite direction. He's actually creating the path away from God. Keep in mind, prophet of God, all right? is anybody in this room under the illusion that you can physically get away from God's presence? Right? But that's what this man is trying to do right now. He is physically separating himself from God's will for his life. All right, so if we look in verse 4, but the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into, the, into a deep sleep. All right. Here's the deal. When I say God appoints, you're going to repeat it, all right? So, God appoints. God appoints. All right. God appoints a big storm, all right? God sends a storm after Jonah on this ship. Now, you've got to look at what Jonah's doing. Jonah is in the deepest, darkest part of the ship, and he's gone to sleep. This is genius. God can't talk to me when I'm asleep, right? Not really. But the point is, he has not just gotten on this ship headed the complete opposite direction, but he's actually gone into the lowest part of the ship and he's taking a nap. He is doing everything in his power to be separated from what God's doing in his life. Now, let's think about Gideon for a second. When, what did God appoint for the Israelites in Gideon's life? It was the nation of Midian, right? God sent the nation of Midian. Now, one of the things we discussed last week was... How do I know when my sin causes the storms of my life or I just live in a broken world? All right, because what's not the correct answer, right? Your friend's, you know, relative gets cancer. The wrong answer is maybe you should stop sinning so much, right? That's not the way to approach your friend in that situation. But what's happening here is that, again, we, we talked about this last week. If you ask God... God, reveal my sin to me. It is literally the fastest answered prayer you can possibly pray. So if there's a storm, right, or the nation of Midian, that was the storm in Israel's life in, when, when we looked at Gideon, those are appointed by God. And what did we say? Why does God appoint storms? Why does God appoint Midian? Because that is how God turns us back the right direction, right? So when we're going through those struggles 
That's how he turns us around. He's trying to turn Jonah around right now. So, God appoints. God appoints a storm. Okay, so we're going to look at starting in verse 6. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for the trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and, and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us who is to blame for the trouble we're in. What is your business, and where are you from? What is, the, what is your country, and what, are the peop, and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord and the God of, uh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by great fear and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew that he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he told them. So they said to him, What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? For the sea was getting worse and worse. He answered them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you please. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped raging. The men were seized by great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Okay, first of all, a uh, quick little note here. When we, back in ancient times, lots would have been kind of like a dice thing. That's how people at that time would have considered if a lot landed on you, it was, it was divine intervention that had singled you out, right? So they, they cast lots, and it points to Jonah. So the next thing we see is they ask Jonah, like, who are you? And Jonah starts giving this explanation. The temptation is to look at this as Jonah kind of witnessing to who God is. That is not what's happening here, all right? Jonah is not saying how great the, that God is that he serves. Jonah's having a pride moment. I'm a Hebrew. I serve the greatest God. I'm better than you, right? Jonah's taking this moment to put the spotlight on him. And additionally, he's not being valiant when he says, well, if you cast me overboard, then then this won't happen. If he was being valiant, he'd you know, jump overboard or tell them to turn the ship around. What he's saying is, if you really want this to stop, you're going to have to kill me. You're going to have to throw me over, knowing full well that in their minds, this would have been a death sentence. If, if this God that he serves is so powerful that he's caused this storm to chase us, he's also powerful enough to kill us for taking your life. You're, clear, you're a man of God, and if we take your life, your God's going to seek vengeance on us. So this is, this is not uh, a humble moment where Jonah's saying, well, I serve the living God, and I'm sorry about what's happening right now. Jonah's saying, I'm awesome, and if you really want this to stop, you're going to have to kill me. Okay? Jonah, and then, so then what happens, right? They throw Jonah overboard. And the interesting thing is, what happens next after the sea calms down is that these men then make sacrifices and vows to the Lord. So what we see here is that Jonah is used as an unwilling witness to who God is. All right, here's what I want you to hear out of this. Your disobedience, your rebellion, 
can still be used by God. God is still going to accomplish His will. God is going to use you to witness who He is to people who need to see Him, whether you want to be involved or not. Jonah's having a complete pride and self-centered moment. And these men become followers of the one true God because of His disobedience that God uses. He's an unwilling witness. Look in verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. All right. God appointed. appointed. A storm. God appointed. appointed. A fish. All right. So what's happened here? Everything we see in Jonah's life is orchestrated by God. This stuff's not coincidence, right? They didn't just happen to be a fish. God sent the fish, all right? Here's the other thing about, about the fish. It's not like Pinocchio where he had like all this like room, right, in this like cavern in the fish and he's like very comfortable, all right? Like, I don't know, like I'm not like, you know, super like, a doctor or anything, but like I'm pretty sure like when you swallow food, it doesn't just drop into like a cavern in your stomach that's just like wide open, right? He was in a digestive tract, okay? He, this is not a comfortable five-star hotel arrangement, all right? He's in a digestive tract for a fish, all right? So um, I, I don't know if anybody's seen the, you know, the VeggieTales Jonah, but it's not like that either. All right, so, <laughs> all right, so, um, let's look at what the fish is for, for, for Jonah versus what we saw in Gideon. Okay, Gideon is in a hole in the ground. Gideon is scared, he's hiding, he's pretending to be productive, and God meets him in this hole in the ground, and that's where he is available to what God's doing. What happens after God shows up to Gideon, Gideon drops everything. He makes himself available. He begins to to uh, go on the path of what God's will for his life is. Jonah, on the other hand, has to be pinned down. So Gideon's in a hole available to God. Jonah is in a fish where he is trapped. He has nothing. He has no way out. He has no escape. He has no alternative. It's just him and God inside this fish. That's all he has available to him. God will put you in that situation if you run long enough and hard enough. He will put you in a position where you are pinned down, where where you have no choice but to listen to him. Okay, I don't want you to miss this. It says, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, listen, when you read the Bible, you need to understand one thing. The Bible is Jesus Christ-centric. Right? The whole Bible, the entire Old Testament is pointing forward to Jesus coming, and the entire New Testament is about Jesus' time on earth and looking back at Jesus' time on earth. All right? The Bible is Jesus-centric. Jesus went willingly where Jonah went begrudgingly. Jesus is, this is foreshadowed three days and three nights that Jesus would spend in victory, voluntarily, that Jonah is forced to do. Every, almost every Old Testament character is a foreshadowing of God sending someone to redeem us who fails, who can't do it perfectly, 
who doesn't do it right. So this is not an accident when it says he's in this, the belly of this well three days and three nights. This is an intentional foreshadowing to who Jesus Christ would be. Keep in mind, this is written well before Jesus comes to earth. All right, so let's look at chapter 2. This is Jonah's response while he is inside the whale. Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains of the earth and um, of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Okay, here's the thing about this prayer. The, th the tricky part about Jonah is really looking at the tone of what Jonah is saying and examining it not just in the context of Jonah, but against the Bible. In Psalms 34 and Psalms 51, those are famous prayers by David where David cries out for deliverance. David uh, spends those psalms worshiping God and asking God to deliver him. That is a good example of what is not happening right here. Jonah is praying an I-centric prayer. Jonah's prayer is about himself in this situation. What Jonah is saying here, he is indicating obedience, but he is not indicating a change of his heart heart. This is important. My evidence for this is actually as we move forward, you're going to see that Jonah begins to do the bare minimum he can do to be called obedient. But he doesn't change his attitude about what's happening. All right, so we've seen God took Jonah where he was. Jonah immediately disobeyed. All right, then God appointed, God appointed a storm, and God appointed, God appointed a fish, all right? And that is how God deals with Jonah's disobedience, right? He, now, we're going to see, we talked about doubt some with Gideon. There's not a lot of doubt in Gideon, or I'm sorry, in Jonah, and we'll see that. So God really just deals with his disobedience, and now we're going to talk about God accomplishing his will. But we're going to see how Jonah doesn't get to participate in it in the same way that Gideon did. All right. If you look in, ver or in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up. Pause. Go back to chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee. Back to chapter 3. 
the, Lord of the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. Okay, here's what you need to take away from this. We are right back where we started. Okay, this is, we, we have literally, we have landed in the same place. You can make God's will for your life as painful as you want to make it. It's not going to change God's will for your life. It hurting a lot is totally up to you. Take it from someone who's made it hurt a lot. All right? Here's the thing. We're, okay, this is a sermon for another time. I'm not going to jump into free will predestination. It's a tricky subject. But I'm going to give you... I'm going to give you a little bit of my perspective on how this works. Uh, if you want to have the theological debate with me, we can have that offline. See one in the back. All right. Okay, here's, here's the way it works. Uh, predestination is kind of this idea that um, you are moving along God's will for your life and you're going to end up in this circle. Okay? The way that I like to picture it is more like you're moving along this avenue that God has for your life you're going to end up in that same circle. But everything you do in between here is on you. Going from point A to point B and ending up exactly where God's going to have you is going to happen. But how many loops and U-turns and derailings you take, that's totally in your hands. You can end up there after a long, hard, painful road. Or let's look at Gideon. Gideon gets on board right at the beginning. He goes from point A to point B. Jonah goes the opposite direction first, has to take a boat one way, a fish the other way, and then he ends up back where he started. We're in the same place. How many times do you do that in your life? How many times do you just take, it, take matters into your own hands, and then you end up right back where you started, but like way more beat up than you were at the beginning? All right, so let's, let's keep going in, in verse 3. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days Nineveh will be demolished. Okay, let's talk about this. First of all, uh, let's talk about this phrase, a three-day walk. There's a couple of possible interpretations. One is that it's a measurement of time, so it took a day to travel, a day to do business, and a day to leave, right? That's one possible explanation for what that means. Another one is that it's, it's a city so big that it would have taken three days to go around it. Uh, what I think is actually the most likely interpretation is that Nineveh would have controlled the province, right? So uh, back in this time period, you would have had like a city with a king, and there would have been a, a province around that city, controlled by that city, and what, what it's saying is it would take three days to cross that province. Okay? Now, the interesting thing about this is we're looking at bare minimum obedience. Jonah goes one day of three into the province of Nineveh, and he says one sentence. All right. Now, here's the interesting thing about how this works. If Jonah had gone all the way in, and he had given the best sermon of his life, 
there would have been an ability to say, man, that Jonah guy, he really, he really saved us or fixed this, right? So let's think about Gideon for a second. Gideon has this army of 10,000, and God whittles it down to 300. And we see that God makes it worse so that only God can take the glory. Only God can get credit for what happens. What you are about to see is a ridiculous response by the people of Nineveh to one sentence, which means that you can't give Jonah credit for this turnaround. So we're back in the same place. Only God can take credit for what's about to happen here. All right, look in verse 5. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By the order of the king and his nobles, no person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. But uh, they must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Okay. Here's the deal. First of all, so sackcloth and ashes. Like sackcloth would have been uncomfortable clothing, right? And ashes, you know, sitting in dirt and ashes as opposed to a king sitting on his throne. Here's the first thing we see. We see a king who dethrones himself. This man was entitled. In his province, in Nineveh, this man was entitled to his station in life. He voluntarily dethrones himself and humbles himself. Here's the, here's the bottom line of what's happening right now. Radical change. Radical change. These people looked at the fact that God was, was proclaiming their judgment, and they changed their whole lives. Are you or are you not the king or queen in your own life? Are you or are you not making radical changes based on what God is doing for you or what's coming for you? Here's the deal. You're not saved by your works. You're not saved by your radical change. But radical change is evidence that you have been saved. If you don't have radical change in your life, then you need to ask yourself, who's sitting on your throne? There can only be one person sitting on your throne. Look in verse 10. God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster. He had threatened, he had threatened with them, and he did not do it. Okay, here's the deal. Does God change his mind? No. This is a, it's, we have a bad way of looking at this because of the way humans think about things. God was going to do one thing, and then he changed what he was going to do. God is perfectly consistent. When God says, wrath's coming... Wrath is coming because you are in rebellion. 
when you relent, when you repent of rebellion, grace comes, love comes. It's not a, well, I'm, I guess God will change his mind now. That's the way we would do it, right? It's that God says, based on if you are in rebellion or in repentance, I'm offering you wrath or redemption. God is perfectly consistent. Look in verse 4, or starting in chapter 4. Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and the one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord asked, Is it right for you to be angry? Okay, this is the most revealing portion of this story. Jonah actually never doubted who God was. Jonah so much knew who God was, he determined that was not what God should do for the people of Nineveh. Jonah made the decision. Jonah was so not doubting that God would be forgiving, that God would be patient, that he said, I don't want those people to get forgiveness. I'm going the opposite way. I'm not going to be a part of this. Now, here's the thing. We do this in our lives. We determine who deserves forgiveness. Think in your life. Who would you hire a boat to make sure that they go to hell? We don't want to think about it like that, but that's the fact. What happens when God says, I want you to be involved in this person's salvation? It can be a what, too. What in your life have you determined, if God said, I had to give this up, I'd just leave. This, this is mine, I'm going to keep it. I've determined that this is the way that God should handle this. So if God said to give this up, I'd just leave. All right. Let's, let's start in verse 5. Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a, wor a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted, and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it is right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in the night, and it perished in the night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? All right, God appointed a storm. God appointed a fish. God appointed a plant. God appointed a worm. God appointed 
a wind. God has orchestrated every single thing in this man's life from beginning to end. God is not just, just dealing with random circumstances that are just unfolding in Jonah's life. Your life is not just tumbling out of control and God's just kind of like keeping up on the back end like, oh, I guess I'll deal with this now. <laughs> God is the one appointing all of this stuff to happen in Jonah's life. Now let's, let's see what, what did God do here. In verse 4, the Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah doesn't answer. Why? Because Jonah knows he's wrong. He knows that it's not right for him to be angry about the city of Nineveh being saved. So here's the thing, though. You don't just get to, like, give God the silent treatment. Like, you don't just get to, like, avoid the conversation. Like, God's not just going to be like, oh, I guess we won't talk about that. Like, that's not what's happening. All right? So God organizes Jonah's life to continue the conversation. There's a, almost like a gotcha moment right here. God gives Jonah this shade, then he takes the shade away. Jonah's mad again, right, because he he's, has the sun beaten down on him. And now God says, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah thinks, yes, this one, I, wasn't, I couldn't be angry about the city, but I can be mad about this plant. So he says, yes, I'm angry enough to die. And that's when God's like, really? <laughs> really, okay? And he says, you, you're mad about a plant that you had nothing to do with. You're mad about life circumstances that you didn't produce. You're not, it, these are all things that I'm doing. And you're mad about this, but I can't take care of all of these people. All these people. And what does this statement mean? Uh, you know, they don't know their right from their left. These would have been non-covenant people, right? They were not Israelites. They weren't God's chosen people. They don't know any better. Okay, I need you to think about that statement for a second. A lot of times, we treat people in our life like they have the truth in them. If you've got dead people in your life, they can only act like dead people. That's all they've got. But God doesn't not care about them because they don't know any better. God's not like, well, they're done. They're just done. All right, here's the deal. Turn to Matthew 12, 40 through 40, or, uh, sorry, Matthew 12, and look at verse 40. I'll give you guys a second to get there. Okay. For as Jonah was in the belly of a huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. All right, pause right there. This is exactly what I was talking about. It is not an accident that Jonah is set up in the same way Moses was, in the same way so many of the Old Testament characters were. Even Gideon is set up as a redeemer that turns out to be just as flawed and just as unable to redeem us as the next guy. But Jesus does it perfectly. It's referenced right here. Now look at verse 41. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. The people of Nineveh had one sentence from a guy who didn't even care about them. And they made radical life changes 
because of that one sentence. You have the entire Word of God and the Holy Spirit. If you can't make radical changes, then the men of Nineveh will stand up on Judgment Day and they will condemn us because they had nothing and they walked in faith. Are you going to make radical life changes based on what you know about God? Gideon and Jonah were both taken by God, both disqualified, right? Gideon is, is a nobody. He's, he's in a hole in the ground. Jonah, who was a man of God, he didn't have the heart to be used by God correctly, right? God took them both where they were. He dealt with their doubts and disobedience, right? He dealt with the Asherah pole. He dealt with the ship going the opposite direction. He pinned Jonah down. He comforted Gideon. How painful this middle section is, is up to you. And both stories, regardless of the willingness of the participant, God accomplished His will. Jonah didn't get to participate and enjoy what God was doing in the people of Nineveh. He was just bitter. Gideon got to participate and be a part of God's plan. You can make radical life changes and you can enjoy what God's doing in your life. Or you can be your own king and your own queen and determine how God should handle it. And God's still going to get it done. You're just going to end up sitting on the hill saying, I'd rather be dead. Notice that God gets the last word in the book of Jonah. We don't have an answer from Jonah because uh, God will always get the last word. What's up, everybody? This is Philip Jackson, pastor of young adults at Evergreen Church. I want to invite you to come to Reach. We meet every Tuesday evening at 6.30 at Evergreen Church, just east of Mingo on 111th Street. For more information, check out our website, reachtulsa.org. You can connect with us on social media and on Instagram by searching for reach.tulsa. Also, be sure to subscribe to our content for the latest sermons and updates. You can also find us on Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Yeah,